Wonderful. Thank you. We're going through a sermon series entitled, Why the Resurrection? Why the resurrection from the dead for people? But to Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15, and I encourage you to keep your tablet or your phone or your Bible open to that. Why Jesus? Why is it critical? Why is dying for us not enough? Why the resurrection? Listen, there was resurrections in the Old Testament, people rising from the dead. Elijah and Elisha, you have at least three stories of that. You have three stories at least of that happening in Jesus' ministry, as well as when you look through the Old Testament scriptures, there may be mystery there. It's not as spelled out as it is in the New Testament about what afterlife will be, but it's, it's there. Uh, every major group in Jesus' day, except the Sadducees, believed in life after death, and you see it throughout the scriptures. In our Bible reading plan, we're in the book of Job right now, Job 19. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh shall I see God. David in the psalm, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the abyss. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You will find me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Or the prophet Hosea, who asks, Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? Death, where are your thorns? Sheol, where is your sting? It's mysterious, but the Old Testament talks a lot about physical resurrections and about eternal life. But what about, what about Jesus' resurrection? Why does Paul center on that? We, two weeks ago, we said, well, partly because it was promised. If Jesus, who is the Word, says something will happen, it will come to be. And last week, we looked at the proofs of it. It happened just because it happened. It's a fact, and it's something reasonable and provable. But what we're looking at today, Paul is talking to those in a culture and a time where maybe people were questioning the resurrection, and he's saying to them this, if there is no resurrection, if there's no resurrection from the dead for all of us, but especially of Christ, it's not, it, it's not just your hope that's lost. It's your faith. Your faith is in vain. My family was blessed in November to get a, a, a new puppy. And we have loved having Pippin at our home. Uh, he is a little bit, uh, what would be the word, hyper in that he loves to dig. And so my wife's little flower garden behind our kitchen window it's toast. It's gone because he loves to dig it up and put things in there. And just a couple of weeks ago, with all the snow and ice, Pippin had the best time running through that ice and sliding. He had the best time just eating snow and enjoying that. But one of his favorite things was to take chunks of ice when he could find it and get, get it into his mouth. He would take it to that flower garden, dig a hole, bury the ice, and bury it for later. We caught him at least once, maybe twice, digging in that garden, just knowing what's in his mind. I can't, it's hot now, I can't wait to get that. And just the sad, confused look on his face. Where did that ice block go? It was in vain, his digging. And the hymn writer says the same thing. Vainly, they watch his bed. Jesus, my Lord. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord, up from the grave he arose. And that's what Paul is saying to this church that desperately needs to hear this word. You know, it's interesting. I think it kind of echoes what Solomon had said. 
We looked through Ecclesiastes last fall. As you look what he said, if it's just this world, two things. First off, there's nothing new under the sun. And so don't think, don't think in today's modern scholarship, if, whether you watched The Da Vinci Code a decade ago or you listened to the director of the movie The Titanic and Terminator who swears he has a box with Jesus' bones in it, or you listen to even some within Christianity saying there's no need for Jesus to rise from the dead. He didn't do that bodily. There's nothing new under the sun. The Sadducees were saying the same thing. The enemies of Christ, even though you look at the evidences that we did last week, they were talking about Jesus being raised. But so many questioned, uh, the enemies of Christ questioned uh, uh, Christ's resurrection. And, and, and Solomon would say to us, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old avoidance of closing your eyes, closing your ears, and not hearing the evidences that are there. Gladys... Dunn had moved into a brand new community, uh, had, had gone into a, a, a retirement apartment and thought she would begin to try out churches. And so she went to a church in which this new church and just tried out whichever one was closest to the retirement apartment. She had a great experience at the beginning. Came in, everybody was very friendly to her. Uh, they provided a seat for her. She loved the music and the worship. But as always, what is it? that sermon right the sermon was dry and the sermon was boring right and she looked to her left and right and she saw several people nodding off can I just say this has been the hardest year ever to preach it's been the hardest year to preach for several reasons but part of it is I'm either just looking into a camera or I'm looking at, I haven't seen a smile in over a year but I can still see your eyes oh I see when you pass out when I'm preaching but I don't get any positive affirmation we'll close with that so she looks over and sees him sleeping. Well, anyway, the sermon ends, and people are coming out of their slumber, and the preacher says, listen, why don't you all greet each other? So Gladys Dunn looks over to this guy and says, uh, hello, and he says, hi, I'm trying to be uh, uh, invitational. Hi, I'm, I'm John Franklin. We're glad to have you. And she says, well, hi, I'm Gladys Dunn. And he said back to her, I'm glad it's done too. His eyes were closed, his ears were shut, and he wasn't allowing that sermon to confront him. The Sadducees didn't. Sometimes modern scholarship doesn't. But Paul says, oh, this news. You can't miss this news. Everything is banking. Your faith, hope, maybe even, he's going to hint at later, even the cross, they all hang in the balance with resurrection. Not only is there nothing new under the sun, but you listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, and it's the same thing, verse 18 here in our passage. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then everybody we loved, everybody we know, their lives are gone. They're, they've perished. If that's all we have is this world. And when you look at what Solomon would say, and this is the one, he had wisdom, he had materialism, wives, money, and you just listen to what he says. Ecclesiastes 2. I'm going to read the modern-day paraphrase uh, so it doesn't take liberties, but it just kind of changes the language for, with modern language. But I think it's very faithful to the, to the Hebrew text. But Ecclesiastes 2, what's his verdict, Solomon? What do I think of the fun-filled life? It's insane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness, who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spent on this earth. And then he lists out all the things he did. I built pools, houses, tended fields. 
I, I had silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I had the most exquisite of all kinds of pleasure. Then here was his conclusion. How I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done, looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke spitting into the wind. There was nothing of any of it. Nothing. And that's Paul's word to this church and to our church. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if Christ is not alive, verse 14, it's our faith, but then also here, it's our preaching is simply in vain. They are futile. Everything is banking on Christ's resurrection. If it's just this world and there's no life after, how do we get any sense of justice? How do you get any sense of morality? How do, you, how do you get any sense of purpose? I thought it was interesting a few years ago. They had the 10-year reunion for a TV show called Lost. Most of us haven't seen that show, but you may have heard about it. It was incredibly popular. And it's basically a plane crashes on a deserted island, and it's these wild things that happen to the people, the survivors on that island. The finale for that show may be one of the more controversial endings of any series ever. Wildly watched, but also wildly hated. And they were talking to the the directors of this show, and I don't think they're Christians, but they were talking to the directors and creators at the 10-year reunion, and they asked them, why in the world would you bring in spirituality and inject that towards the end? Here's what they said. These people are not just lost on an island. They are lost in their lives. That's it. If it's just this world, they remain lost lost. You can't get yourself out of lostness. It has to be God who does that for us. Verse 19, and if it's just this world, verse 19, Paul says to us, we are a people to be pitied if we're not raised. Not only pity, but go back to verse 15, it makes us all liars because we're proclaiming a lie. Matter of fact, that makes Jesus a liar because he proclaimed, as we said last week, three different times that he would be raised from the dead. And if we miss this great gift of resurrection, a couple of things, but one is, if you miss the fullness of that, the affirmation of that, but also the reality of that resurrection power, you're going to end up like this Corinthian church. Now listen, this is a picture, look, this Corinthian church is where we can wrestle too, but as I look through the three divisions in my Bible that kind of give you an outline of each book of the Bible, it's interesting. Here's a Corinthian church that Paul's mentoring just a few years after Christ has been raised from the dead, and here's the three divisions or sections for 1 Corinthians. Divisions, disorders, difficulties. And here's what Paul's doing in chapter 7 through the rest, through chapter 16. He's basically answering all these questions and they're trying to figure out how to live. But they're in chaos. You go to the very first chapter. I don't know who to follow. Apollos, Peter, Paul. If there's no resurrection, I just do what I want. I get my own way. This is the one. This is the definitive person I'll follow. You get to chapter 5. It starts out with a sick perversity. I know we have children here, so I'll just say afterwards, it's not just this wildness, but it's just everyday stuff that this church is falling for. There's no resurrection 
Do what you want. Sin against others, sin against God. Or Paul even says in chapter 6, you're even sinning against your own body in that way. But then you get to chapter 8, just do whatever you want. Who cares about your weaker brother? Just lift up your freedom. I'm free to do this. This is my liberty and don't care about those who are weaker to you in Christ. And then you get to chapter 10 and in chapter 10, they're just being careless with communion. Father Wesley would say, oh, don't let that be. Don't let that be. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I remember, and I've had this conversation with multiple couples, but this was a close family friend, and I was, I was to officiate their wedding, and it came to the point where they wanted to have communion, but just for the bride and the groom. Now, maybe you've done that, but in the Wesleyan tradition, because it's sacrament, that is to be something corporate. So really, in our tradition, preachers are, are not really encouraged to, to allow just two to take it, but if the bread is broken, if, if the elements are consecrated, it's really for all. And so I would just say as a pastor sometimes, that's why I love that we have wonderful people who are wedding directors, because <laughs> when you have to talk to a mom or dad of a bride, I'm ready for judgment day. I've talked to some mothers of the bride, or dads of the bride, their little girl, uh, I told him what communion was. Oh, no problem. Because they, they understood. This is the body and blood of Christ, gifted for all who would receive. This church, they're having trouble even with the Holy Sacrament. They're just a, a couple of years away from, from, and many probably had heard of, or had friends who had seen the broken body of Christ, and they're doing the sacrament wrong, that precious gift. And so you get to chapter 15 after all of that, and it's really the climax of the book. 16 is just some housekeeping about some offerings and other things. Paul says, these things cannot be, and that's where we'll go the next time we get together. Because of resurrection... These things can't be, and they don't have to be. Resurrection should bring people together, not split us up. If Christ is raised, we would never want to hurt a weaker brother. Even though we have liberty and freedoms, we would never do anything to make them stumble in their faith. If Christ is raised, there is a resurrection power that we don't have to live as the world lives. But if it's just this world, then I get what Solomon says. Just do whatever you want. And this church was. So Paul points to them, the resurrection, as the remedy for all this struggle that's going on. And then this last point, verse 17. And maybe it's the scariest point. It's scary in the sense that, listen, it's, it's a hard thing to lose hope. It's a hard thing to lose faith. When you get to verse 17, Paul says to the church, if Jesus is not raised, you've still got a sin issue that has not been dealt with. You are still in your sins. Listen, the Corinthians, they had a pile of sins. Now listen, you and I know Romans 3 and Romans 6. One sin is worthy, right? The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They had a pile of sins, and they were still in them if Christ was not raised from the dead. We talked about in our Wednesday night Bible study in Hebrews about how the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple once a year. And to get into the Holy of Holies where the very presence and glory of God was, he would have to go through all these rituals and cleansing rituals. I think Corey's even told us one time that if the priest went in there 
into God's holy presence, and he had not done what he should have done to prepare himself perfectly to be in the presence of the holy and living God, he's, he's gone. They tie a rope to his leg, and they pull him out. Because if he hadn't done what he had to do and went before the holy God, you can't stand before a holy God with sin. What Paul is saying is he's looking back post-cross. Jesus walked into that room. He didn't do rituals or cleansings, but the spotless Lamb of God brought his sacrifice, his life, his heart, his mind, his will, and and took upon all of the purity of that and put our sins on himself and stepped in and said, I'm here to make atonement for my people, to stand in the gap for my people. And for Christ then, after that, to present that, to offer it up, as Hebrews says, through the Spirit to God and to walk out of that room, to walk out of that tomb, that means it was done and it's over. And your sins and my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They've been cast, as the prophet Micah said, into the deepest sea or the sea of forgetfulness. They are gone. What a gift of assurance and hope. You think about your sin. What's that one thing that if I asked you to confess it right now, that you would blush for the rest of your life with your Madison UMC family? What is it that horrifies you if somebody knew of that? You've brought that to Jesus. The Lamb of God, the resurrection and the life. If you've repented of that, confessed that sin, and brought it to Jesus, it's gone. You can think of it, but it's gone in the mind of God. It's been covered. What Paul is saying is, if if there is no resurrection, we're trapped in our sins. But if Jesus is alive, not only is he one for us eternity, but the stain of sin, the accusation of sin, the shame of sin, it's wiped away. Church, the assurance and hope and joy that ought to bring us That the Son of God, who was and is and is to come, He died for us, but His resurrection affirms to us that all is forgiven. And it ought to also be then an affirmation to us of the love of God. And, And Paul's trying to affirm to them as they're struggling in their life, hear this affirming and good news. I I had read years ago of a, a an app that was put on cell phones. And it was, I'm not going to give you the name of it because I don't want you to go to it. But it was an app. It's kind of like how Facebook was actually created. But it was an app where you just put a picture of your face. And they would, you put all these things you want people to give their opinion on. My eyes, my nose, my this, my that. Just the face. And so a reporter said for a news article, hey, I want to be a part of this. And so she put her face, wonderful looking woman, put her face on that. It was like 95% crushingly negative this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong this and the accuser of the brother brethren the devil will come to you even with stuff we've repented on and will say he's still got this hanging over your head you can never be free from that chain or maybe just our own feelings will do that that's that's the world we live in it's just crushing but paul gives this ray of light the church a church that had been 
marked by sin and needed to repent in so many ways. But here is this right in front of them. Can you see what's gifted to you? This, this cleansing, yes, this affirmation that all can be made right and also God's care and love for you. I uh, had the opportunity to sit down with somebody uh, from our church family for lunch this week. Let me just say that to you. In a church our size, that's what's got to happen for us to connect, right? It's just hard. So I want you to be intentional. If you need me, you call me, you text me, email me, let's get coffee, let's get lunch. And this person will even say, I paid for the lunch, by the way. First time for everything. But I did pay for the lunch. But I went to have lunch with them. There was something going on and just wanted to bless them, wanted to encourage them. And we had said our goodbyes and we're getting up. But right before we left, that person stopped me and spoke a very specific affirmation into my life. And I didn't know how much I needed it. Now, I was there for them. (laughs) But just out of the blue, Barry, I want you to hear this about your ministry here. It was just the sweetest thing. Paul is offering to the church, not only is life not vanity, that there can be purpose, and we'll get to next week, it can change how we live, but this this word about resurrection, feel the affirmation of that. That you don't have to wonder if you're loved. You don't have to wonder if those sins that you've done, as horrific as they are, are they really gone? If you've given them to Christ, that high priest took them willingly on his shoulders, but now they are gone. You need to hear that word of encouragement today. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, this word from Paul. As we look at the resurrection of Christ, uh, we see the the purpose that it brings, the affirmation that it brings. Father, we're bombarded by culture as as the early disciples were, by people who want to shut their eyes and ears to it. But we thank you for all that this says of the hope that we have in eternity, that we don't have to be people marked by fear or bound by fear. We thank you for what it says about forgiveness that that atoning work of Jesus Christ was completed and received and was enough. And fathers, we can continue to go through this series. Just bless our response then to that resurrection, that we would live into that affirmation and in that truth, and that the resurrection power of Jesus would shape us and change us and control us. We thank you for this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. And I pray